Welcome to the Musician's Venture Podcast. This is a podcast focused on lessons learned from musicians' backstories, as well as from building successful careers in the music business. My name is Nick O'Brien, and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events that Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. On occasion, I'll be joined by Allison M., the founder of Wisconsin Music Ventures, as she and I will dive into topics relevant to the music industry. So let's get down to business. Hello there, and welcome to this episode of the Musicians Venture Podcast. I am your host, Nick O'Brien, and today I am very delighted to be joined by Will Carter, a Texas-bred country music musician, and uh, boy, we're going to dive into Will's story and all the things that make Will interesting um, and successful as a musician. But first, let me introduce you to who uh, Will Carter is. Will Carter is a country singer and songwriter from Katy, Texas, whose talent and commitment have earned him over a dozen singles on the Texas music charts. Three of these songs have crossed successfully over to Nashville's Music Row chart, extending his fan base nationwide. For the last three consecutive years, Will has been nominated as Male Vocalist of the Year and awarded Songwriter of the Year at the Texas Country Music Association Awards. He is Texas born and bred and was raised on his family's farm with a day and night work regimen. It's where he learned to respect hard work and traditional values. This environment provided Will a gateway to country music. Carter likes to say, music found me at age three when I began singing. I picked up my first guitar at age 10 and he's never looked back. Will's love and passion for storytelling infuses his songwriting with compelling narratives and even more intimate relationship with music developed when Carter was a teenager. When his father became severely ill, Carter created a playlist of his father's favorite songs to share with his dad, providing both with renewed comfort and joy. Carter has sold the same playlist on CD to help raise money for his family, which in turn landed him on the Deborah Duncan television show when he was just 13 years old. These songs were played for his father every day until he passed away. The peace, comfort, and inspiration made possible through heartfelt lyrics and simple melody continue to guide Will's songwriting, consistently landing top 20 singles on the Texas charts. His first new release in 2022, Wrong Side of Town, uh, came out in May. And uh, we will be diving into the inspiration behind that song um, later on in this podcast episode. So, Will, thank you so much for joining me, man. I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation. Hey, likewise, thank you for having me. Yeah. So your your bio kind of started to uh, to 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 color a little bit of the interview that we're going to have, uh, particularly where we tend to start these interviews in terms of how you got started um, as as a music lover and and then how that evolved into being a musician. Um, so let's let's start there. You know, tell me about the story of of when you were three years old and and music kind of entered your life in a way that you have not yet let go of it. Yeah, so uh, my dad was uh, a big part of that. He was six foot four, two hundred and fifty plus pounds, um, and I'm the oldest of four. So I was, you know, <clears throat> young kid and firstborn, and he was uh, convinced that I was going to be a football player or baseball star or something like that. And so, uh, as many parents uh, will do for their kids when they're kind of gearing them up to be athletes, he put me in. Uh, tap, jazz, ballet, gymnastics, boxing, and wrestling, all that, all kinds of, uh, to learn essentially agility and balance um, while you're developing. So getting started in all that at the age of three, um, 
that that was the intent, right? Uh, however, my mom, um, she's she's beautiful, but she's five foot three, weighs like ninety pounds. So she, I got at least half of her genes. So I, I, I did not grow up to be a football player or a baseball athlete. I mean, I played sports in high school and stuff like that, but I was a lot better uh, in sports with weight classes, like the boxing and wrestling. <laughs> they put me against people my own size. Um, but what I did get from that was, uh, for whatever reason, man, I, so I, I grew up on a, on a self-sustaining farm out in Freak, which is about an hour west of Houston, which is, you know, kind of adjacent to Katy where I live now. Um, and there was a little town suburb of Sealy called Freedick, and they had an annual fest- fantasy of lights festival. And the uh, dance and gymnastics company that I was with, uh, for whatever reason, I was just, I, don't know, I was just always kind of interested in music, even from, you know, three years old um, and walking around singing all the time. And so they, they, for whatever reason, chose me to sing the, uh, the national anthem and say the Pledge of Allegiance and sing the Grand Old Flag as this like ceremonial kickoff to the Fantasy Lights Festival when I was three years old. And I don't know, man, I, I got up on stage in front of the entire town at three and, and did all that. And um, I guess I liked the attention. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it, but I kept uh, I, I kept with it, man. I stayed with, you know, I picked up a guitar at a really early age, started playing, uh, started writing real early. And then, um, yeah, well, my dad, when I was 11, actually, my, my dad um, was uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And um, not only was he the, you know, the leader of our family, we were, we were poor and we lived on a self-sustaining farm <laughs> and there was four kids and a mom who'd only ever been a mom. So that was pretty tragic, but, you know, he and I were always real close. Uh, he didn't have like a nine to five job. You know, we worked on the farm and we were together all the time. And um, when I had, you know, shown interest in music, even though we didn't have the money to do it, he would drive me all over the state of Texas to play in fairs and festivals and talent contests or just anywhere, anywhere I could get in to perform and uh, was, was a huge supporter of the fact because being 6'4", 250 pounds, he was kind of like Superman, you know, there was nothing he could do, but uh, he was very intelligent, uh, very resourceful, but that didn't help him in the music world. He had no musical talent whatsoever. <laughs> and so he thought it was real, just, you know, it's really cool that his kid did have that talent. Um, I'm sure I got it from my mom's side of the family. They're a little more musical, but uh, anyway, so he, he really supported me. And then when he got sick, um, you know, that was brutal on all of us, but eventually it got to the point where he couldn't work. And there weren't a lot of ways by this time I was you know, 13, he battled cancer for two years. Um, and there weren't a whole lot of ways that I could help with that at my age. But one thing that I did have was, was the music. So I, I recorded a CD of cover songs myself singing them. Um, and basically sold them for, asked for donations, essentially. could sell them as my music, but we did a benefit for them and we had the CDs there available for donation to raise money and raised, you know, several, several thousand dollars. Uh, and I guess that really, you know, obviously struck home with him as well. And so the last probably two months of his life, um, he would sit there with a copy of that CD on repeat, just 24 seven for a couple months straight. And my mom would wake me up in the middle of the night and go, Hey, you know, the CD burned a hole in it and uh, can I get another copy? And that happened three or four times over the couple months or whatever. And so to me, you know, having had always seen how he supported me and really pushed me to pursue this um, and up into the last moments of his life, you know, I could just tell by the fact that he was burning up these CDs, told me running them 24 seven, just how much he really believed in me. And so I think that every artist, you know, owes it to themselves um, to chase their dream and, you know, chase their passion and all that. And it's, it's not a, it is not an easy road by any means. Um, 
but in addition to that, you know, I kind of felt like on, on some level I owed it to him as well, you know, to, to keep grinding and, and keep fighting and keep putting music out there. And, you know, I've, all, I've watched how music, you know, helped heal our family and get us through tough times. And, you know, I think we can all relate to that one way or another. Um, so no matter how tough it gets out there, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep going. And it's gotten me um, some, I've done some pretty cool stuff in my career and it continues to get bigger and better every day. So there's a lot of truth to, you know, having resilience when it comes to doing what you want to do. Yeah, man, that's a incredible story. And um, I'm feeling like the inspiration, you know, even via Zoom here. Um, <laughs> and I can feel the passion that you have for music, um, which is at least partially, you know, informed and influenced by the support that your, your father showed you and the belief that he had in you. It's, it's really incredible, man. So thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and it, it, it kind of, in my mind, like it kind of prevents you from letting go of music, <laughs> you know, like that's, it's, it's who you are. It's been such a huge component of your life, your family's life. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going anywhere as a musician. You're only going to keep, you know, keep grabbing onto that tighter and tighter. Um, so I, I would imagine that being, you know, born and raised in Texas was a primary influence as to why you chose uh, the country music genre to, to, to build a career in. Were there other kind of experiences or, or even musicians that kind of inspired you uh, to go that route? Yeah, it's funny. My, my mom and my dad were very different. They used, everybody used to say that my uh, my dad was country and my mom was country club. And uh, my dad was uh, a very big country music fan. My mom was too growing up, you know, with her her, her dad. You know, she listened to Jerry Jeff Walker and stuff like that. Um, my dad was nothing but country and he would not listen to anything else. Um, I, I remember we would get in, we had this little Bronco 2 four by 4 that uh, my mom would use to run to town and grab groceries or whatever. And uh, I remember my dad and I getting it, into it on the farm one day after she had been to town and she had the, the local classic rock countries or classic rock station, like blaring on the radio. When we got in, she got to turn it down when she got out <laughs> him laughing and rolling his eyes. Going, oh, your mom's in here rocking out. Um, but I always, I, I kind of liked the, the more rocked up stuff. You know, when I was growing up, it was, um, you know, it was in the nineties. Right. So I was listening to, you know, Tracy Lawrence, Tim McGraw, and, you know, Garth Brooks and George Strait had just gotten real big and all that. Um, my dad, you know, he, he was more into the, here's a perfect example, Chris Ledoux. My dad was a huge Chris Ledoux fan. We had every one of his albums on cassette tape. And then Chris Ledoux came out with a double live album. Well, the double live album was, you know, much more rocked up, much more high energy. And, uh, and I loved that album. He couldn't stand it. Uh, so I uh, <clears throat> definitely got some of the love for a little more, you know, a little more rocked up uh, style of music, probably probably from my mom, I guess. Um, and I've kind of I've kind of blended those two. You know, if you listen to my stuff, it's uh, it's not extremely extremely traditional. You know, mellow country. It's 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 more rocked up, having a good time, party kind of stuff. You know, have some energy to it. And we've got we've got plenty of, of you know heartbreak songs and love songs and ballads and all that, but. Even then, most of my ballads end up kind of steering towards power ballads a little bit. Um, I just like a little more feel in, in, in the music. Yeah, I, I I love to hear that because that's what exactly what I thought when I heard your stuff was this isn't this isn't conventional country for sure. Um, and 
I, personally, like country music, I, I love all kinds of music, but country music is probably not high on the list in terms of uh, the genres that I gravitate toward. Um, but your stuff is different, man. Your your stuff is different. And I'm I'm classic rock kind of guy as well as any sort of alt rock. And you're kind of like alt country, you know, in a sense, you know, <laughs> alt rock country, um, yep. which it's now that I know the story and the inspiration, the influence behind it, you can hear, I can hear that, you know, I can place that in, in your sound. Um, and so it's great that, you know, to kind of have that, uh, that validation behind it. So, so let's, let's keep going on with this, this path of your career. You know, you're, you're singing the national anthem at three years old, you're picking up a guitar, you know, before you were a teenager, you're starting to write songs. Um, at what point did you get into kind of like the business side of the industry and start to turn this into to a business and how did you learn that that's not something that necessarily comes natural to a creative i think it's something that typically like musicians kind of seem to struggle with um because it's a I, this is, I have this creative output that i'm doing because i love to do it not because i want to make money but i want to do it as often as i can as long as i can and you got to pay the bills and passion can pay the bills, but you got to have some business mechanisms in place to be able to make that a little bit more easy. Um, and, and so I'm just always curious to ask musicians, like, how did you come into the the business side of the music industry? Um, you know, was there a community of musicians that you kind of found that helped you learn from like peer interactions? Was it one person that kind of mentored you or did you just jump in and figure it out? You know, for me, it's probably different than most musicians. I feel, I don't know, you talk to more musicians than I do, I guess, about this. But um, so my dad, <clears throat> again, I lived on a self-sustaining farm and he worked for himself. Uh, he did kind of odd jobs. We had like a, a piece of property that we, we mined topsoil off of and sold the local concrete company. He had equipment left over from, you know, he had bought a concrete company one time and then sold it. And we had some equipment left over and we used a backhoe to go dig you know, dig holes for septic systems for people out in the country and he just did a bunch of like random like entrepreneurial type stuff right that's how he got by like his whole life that i knew him he never had a nine-to-five job and when he passed away when i was 13 a little later my mom remarried and uh it was a friend of his who actually owned a commercial electrical company and so i started working for him um during when i wasn't in school you know like on Christmas breaks and summer breaks and things like that. I would work as an electrician out in the field from 13 on. And then I also would play music every single weekend. Um, when I got into high school, I started DJing on weekends. So I, some, some weekends I'd be playing, some weekends I'd be DJing. Um, but it was nice because you, you'd get paid, you know, my, the guy that was booking all the stuff would get paid a hundred bucks an hour. So you do a four hour show for $400 and he would pay me 75 an hour. So I'd make 350 bucks plus get fed and free drinks and hang out at the party Friday night and Saturday night. It wasn't a bad gig and making either 350 or 700 bucks on a weekend um, when you're in high school was, was pretty cool. Um, I had, I had plenty of extra cash. Um, so, you know, my dad was entrepreneurial. My, my stepdad was that entrepreneurial. I kind of by default started, you know, this music thing, which is an entrepreneurial move. Um, and then uh, I was actually hired. Uh, they were there's a big dance hall band in South Texas called The Emotions. They've been around since the late '70s, and the the face has changed, but the the name is still there, and it's still there today. Um, some of the guys that came through there that you would know, uh, John Mike Montgomery started with them, uh, Chris Cagle started with them, David Kerr started with them. Um, so, anyways, those those that band was used by the owner Mark Ebner to sort of farm talent, 
and he would have them front his his dance hall band in Texas for a while, and then he would move them to Nashville where he was at, and then get them signed to publishing deals and things like that. Um, so, anyways, uh, they I auditioned for them when I was in high school, and uh, I had been accepted to A and M, wanted to go there, um, and uh, was working for my stepdad's electrical company at the time. And my parents, you know, I had a scholarship and everything. And my parents said, you know, here's the thing. <clears throat> we'll support you either way you want to go. If you want to go to college, uh, you can you know, go to school. You can continue to, um, you know, do that. Uh, or if you, now you have this opportunity to go be a front man for this band. And obviously we know that music is your passion. You've been playing and DJing. And that's just kind of been your thing for, since you were three. Um, and now you have a spot for a pretty big position uh, in that industry. I mean, these guys drive an 18-wheeler around with, their production to every show and it's it's a big thing it's an eight-person band everything's all wireless and it's, it's a lot of, it's it's when i was a kid growing up it's like that's what we did on the weekends if any, any anybody that lived west of houston went to wherever the emotions were playing like it was it was a, it was a thing so um and they realized how excited i was about it they said you know you can also just go to do that tour the state go play music um, you can work for the electrical company during the week and um We'll support you either way. And of course, I chose the music route. And so I did that. But I, I quickly learned that uh, it takes a lot of money to, to make it in the music industry. And I didn't want to play in a cover band um, for the rest of my life. That was just something I did. It was fun, got some experience. But ultimately, I, you know, I wanted to write my own music and put it out there. In order to do that, you have to have a radio promoter and you got to have a publicist and you got to have pay a manager 25% of your gross or 20%. And you got to pay, you know, a booking agent 10% of everything that you make on playing shows so it, it costs a lot to record an album it costs a lot to to pay all those people and so i uh eventually after about a year or so of doing the cover band thing I, I i quit that and i went back to school and i got a degree in construction science and a minor in business and i went into the workforce and uh got a job making decent money doing that and then on the weekends i started playing gigs again in all over you know houston and kind of to a point where you established a brand and then you realize real quickly that you can't, that you can, in Houston's a big town, you can play five nights a week, seven nights a week if you want in Houston, but you're being playing for the same people over and over, right? So <laughs> you got to get out and expand your fan base. And in order to do that, it became harder and harder to, to do that and hold down a corporate job, right? Because you had to be sitting in a seat somewhere nine to five Monday through Friday. So after a few years of doing that, I, uh, Kind of, I watched what everybody at that company was doing, and I learned and paid attention. And then I started my own company because uh, I also realized that you can, I can do everything within their four walls um, anywhere else with a laptop and a phone and some internet service, <laughs> and some email. You can, you can. We all know this. We, you can do if technically you can do your job anywhere. Now, whether or not you can motivate yourself uh, to do so. Uh, that's on you, but uh, that was not something I ever struggled with. So I started my own company about five years ago, and um, I've done very, very well. And that's allowed me to both fund what I'm doing musically, but also it gives me the freedom to go to do take off on a radio tour for the week if I need to. Um, I bring a driver with me, and I sit in the passenger seat and send emails and make phone calls and get to the next station and pop in and change personas and grab a guitar and start playing and and repeat right and then if i need to you know we we, we played in nebraska a couple of weeks ago we played in new mexico a couple weeks ago we, we we're, we're planning a um a tennessee run here in december so we're uh, we're all over the place um and i'm able to go do that because you know i have a good team um at, you know my 
my construction business and I have a good team with my record label. Um, but also we all have technology. And so we can do all those things from anywhere. So whatever your gig is, mine was construction, but anybody can, can, uh, you know, come up with whatever their gig is. You may have to work unless you got a rich uncle <laughs> you, or you're a, uh, you know, trust fund baby, which I'm not either of those. So <laughs> you have to, you gotta work, man. I, I, I easily work a hundred hours a week. It's, uh, I, I never really stop working. My phone is always with me and I'm always sending emails and taking care of things and making calls and doing interviews and playing shows and going to the studio or whatever. Like I'm, I'm always moving. So, um, if you want to, if you want, if I can give one piece of advice to anybody in the music industry, it's, uh, you got to work hard and never quit, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, that's, um, that's the quintessential, like, uh, difference between you know the musicians who make it and the ones who don't they oh, yeah. they not only are entrepreneurial themselves but they're resourceful in using tools and people um yeah. you know to kind of fill in the gaps where they don't have the bandwidth or the expertise or the connections or whatever it may be and it seems like um not only your dad inspired your love for music and the creative output that you use to uh to to be a successful musician but also the entrepreneurial kind of mindset which that's amazing man more and more you say about your story the more i'm kind of getting to know your dad uh through you so um appreciate you opening up and sharing about that it's it's really it really amazing um so kind of you've been at this for quite a long time uh but it seems like you're still you still have that same fire that you had when you were you know 10 years old um but it's like you said it's you got to do it and you got to do it for a long time and you know in the course of doing it for a long time there are certainly you know challenges that arise um and are there any in particular that kind of jump out to you as very instrumental growth experiences to who you are today as both a as both a person and a musician uh how did you overcome that challenge uh how do you use how you overcome that challenge to continually over or overcome challenges like that uh going forward um is there anything in particular that comes to mind yeah so i was um call it fortunate or not but but i uh <clears throat> Tom McKinney and Brett Manning are the two uh, two students of, of, of a voice teacher named Seth who basically theorized the um, speech level singing, which is anything other than opera, right? That's pop, country, rock, whatever. And he had two students, Tom McKinney and Brett Manning. Brett Manning lives in Nashville. Tom McKinney moved to Houston. And I got hooked up with Tom McKinney for voice lessons um, back in 2014. And with that came... Uh, a lot of connections with because he's very deep into the music scene. I mean, he taught Beyonce and he put put Maddie and Tay together, and he taught Solange, and, and the list goes on and on. But anyway, so <clears throat> I, I had a lot of resources through him, and what that did though was the thing I struggle with in the, in the music industry, is the entertainment industry in general, is is like big record labels, right? They want they have a, a, a a character that they want to put you into like Kenny Chesney and you're going to wear a, you know, cowboy hat and a tank top and sing songs about the beach or you are, you know, whatever. Right. So, uh, it, 
as an artist, you know, we're, we're all actually real people. We're not just the guy that sings songs on the beach. I like to go sing songs on the beach too, but then sometimes I'm sad <laughs> or sometimes I'm doing something else. <laughs> so anyways, um, earlier in my career, I, you know, I kind of let these big studios and big producers sort of drive, um, the product. Cause I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, I live in Texas and so in Texas, we have our own genre, essentially Texas country. That's, you know, they, they butt heads with Nashville country and say Nashville is nothing but pop. And then Nashville says Texas country is nothing but, you know, bad singers and bad production. <laughs> so anyways, it's an interesting dynamic, but, um, and obviously I, I wanted to have good clean production and uh, like, you know, quality written songs. Um, but, uh, I'm not a hip hop artist, right? Like, so, so what I've had to do in, and this has actually just been recently since we figured this out was, you know, navigating this, what the industry says that they want. And really as an artist, just, just remember that there's a whole bunch of, there's, there's a, a whole bunch of artists out there. And what makes each artist, um, what makes people gravitate to an artist is what is unique to that artist. And so not to let the industry or some big producer or some record label or whatever, or one radio station that won't, won't play your song, you know, change who you are as an artist or what you do as an artist. And it's taken me a lot of, um, um, I guess, maturity or growth over the years to, to realize that and actually, you know, not care, I guess, what everybody thinks. Right. And so what we've done with this last album, wrong side of town, the current single being the first single off of that album is we've gone and said, forget the big producers and the big studios. We bring the band in. I'm fortunate enough. Most artists have a, you know, they use studio musicians and then they feed that to their band to learn to go perform on the road. I'm fortunate enough to have a band of musicians that are also studio musicians or can be or have been. Um, so we just do what we do on stage and we go in the studio and we play it that way. And, uh, you know, some people like it, some people don't, but uh, if you like it, great. And if you don't, great, that's fine. But that's what, what we're doing. And we're, we're, um, I would, I wouldn't say that it's made, I would say that this current single is doing just as good, if, if not better than anything else we've done. It's not night and day different, um, but it's, but it's doing, like I said, just as good, if not better. And at the end of the day, we're all proud of it. And, and we don't care if, if, a radio station on the West coast doesn't like the sound of it or a radio station on the East coast doesn't like the sound of it or a radio station in central Texas doesn't like the sound of it. This is what we do. And people come to see us because they want to see us and they want to see what we do. And if they don't, then they won't come. Right. So, and maybe we're just not for them. So that's, that was the hardest thing for me, um, especially being a, an entrepreneurial type, you know, being aware of the business side of things is, you know, if you let too much of that control what you're putting out, now you're putting out stuff that, you think is going to work, you know, mathematically, um, or work or, you know, you know, make a, a label happy or whatever. And that just kind of defeats the whole purpose of doing this. Like you, you put out music that you love playing because you've got to play those songs every night and, you know, you've got to stand behind what you put out. And so, you know, that was, that was probably the hardest lesson for me to learn. Um, but, uh, better late than never. Yeah, obviously, like it's it, you're doing well for yourself, and um, it seems as though that you can attribute some of that success to that kind of internal growth experience. Um, but to hear you, I know, I, I know so many musicians that struggle with this. You know, even just kind of starting out, and like you know, they want to play this, they want to play their own stuff, but 
you know, the scene, their local scene is flush with, with bar gigs that, you know, we're going to put you in a corner next to the dartboard and you're going to play so- songs that people know. And, you know, like it's like home Alabama every night. <laughs> right. Right. And, and they struggle with that because, you know, they're trying to make it, you're, they're trying to, to do this thing, you know, full time. And, but w- what they're doing most of the time is not why they're trying to do this full time. And so there is kind of this, you know, disheartening experience when, you know, not one set of eyes in the bar is looking at you and you're not sure if even one set of ears is really cares about that. It's you playing it. It might as well just be a jukebox or something like that. Um, and so I think it requires a lot of kind of internal groundedness to know that like, this is who I am. Uh, and and I'm playing these songs that, you know, they're fine songs, but they're not my songs. And I, I still have the opportunity to play them as who I am. I don't have to, you know, necessarily mimic, um, you know, Skinnerd in in my rendition of Sweet Home, Sweet Home Alabama, um, and and so like I guess what was that experience like for you? Did you did you have to play a lot of those gigs? And 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 what was that like? And do you are you still? I, I would I would imagine you're you're playing less of those gigs now, or you're not playing any of those gigs. How did you get to that point? And how did you get through that phase where you were doing more of what you didn't want to do versus more than what you wanted to do? Yeah, well. <clears throat> So the road to to success, you know, is a road and you don't start at the top, right? <laughs> so that's the first thing you got to swallow is like, if you're going to get there, you're going to have to grind and you have to work and you have to earn it, right? And the only way that someone's going to pay you to come to their bar or their venue and play your songs is if people have heard them and people like them and there's a good demand for that, right? So you play the cover shows when you're first starting out, in my opinion, for you know, a couple of reasons. One is to, to find a band and there's a plethora of those shows. And then that's another thing. I mean, there's, that's why I say this is the hardest industry ever, but, but anyways, the, the band has to stay busy. And so uh, when you first start out as an artist and start playing your own music, the first, the first step is most, most of that early stuff is going to just be acoustic showcase type stuff. Right. So what I did was I played, yes, I played a ton of those cover shows. I was playing five nights a week to keep the band busy while I was working 50, 60 hours for a corporate job. Right. Um, and then, but to me, and people argue this, but you know, radio is kind of the first step. And so I got a radio promoter when I was, well, it was back in 2016. I put out my first single to radio. So radio gets you some exposure to viewers that haven't heard of you and that are outside of your little town that you might live in um, or big town that you might live in. But that's, that's a big, big piece of it. Um, And I'm also a little bit spoiled that I live in Texas and we have this Texas country genre. So it's kind of like a a platform, you know, there's a lot of artists that are moving here from Nashville because you can move to Nashville and and try to to fight that battle. Um, That's a good, that's a platform, but it's a very, very, very dense platform. (laughs) Uh, Texas is is similar, but it's it's a it's a little bit smaller platform. So you Texas is 167 radio stations. So I put out a you know single. I went and drove and saw and shook hands with every single one of those radio you know program directors and got to know them. And then I went to the Texas Country Music Awards and I went to industry events and just got my name out there. Meanwhile, still playing cover shows back home locally for probably the first year, maybe. Um, after that, you know, we'd had, you know, two or three songs on the radio and it just sort of starts to evolve. Like now people know you and you might still go play a cover show. Um, 
but you've got three songs that have been on the radio that you can talk about over the mic and that gets people's you know attention while you're sitting next to the dartboard and they've never heard you know before you play a song they never heard that they're probably gonna go to the bathroom during you can say hey this was my first single on the radio and this reached top 30 or whatever it gets their attention right and then hey go check check me out on spotify or apple music or whatever go check out my website you know download it stream it that kind of thing having merch is huge right like it's there's also a lot of you you if you've gone to a bar that had live music, you've, you've done that a million times and if nothing stood out about it. You just kind of didn't see it. But if you set up a merch table and you talk about your radio single, now you stood out, right? So you're kind of building that. And then there does get to be a point in your career where you're, you're doing much less of that and you need to stop doing cover songs because at that point, you're not an artist. That's probably not when you have three singles. It's probably when you have 10, um, but it's... I put out my first single in 2016. Here we are six years later. I haven't played a cover show in probably two or three years. So if that helps at all, I mean, you got three or four years of probably doing that and trying to, you know, and I battled it, man. You know, we go play a, a four hour cover show with three one hour sets with two 30 minute breaks and play two or three originals per set, you know? And, and I did that for a year, just kind of weaning things the other way. Now it's uh, you, you do have to find a point where then you say, okay, I'm no longer a cover artist. And, I, and I'm like, I, to this day, I'll throw two or three in a show and I don't play four hour shows anymore. I played 60 minutes or 90 minutes, something like that. And we split, I mean, you can go see Luke Bryan, he's going to play one or two covers, right? Like, that's just kind of a thing. That's, that's now you're using it as a tool, but you're not letting it define you. And so you will reach a point where you have to stop doing that and you can hire an opener. Like that's another thing that we do even today. Um, my band, when they're not my band, they're a country and a country cover band and a rock cover band. So they go by two different names and then they're also my backing band. So that's kind of how we help fight that to keep the band busy is me and my fiddle player, who's also a frontman for the two cover bands, um, teamed up and we share the band. So their, their priority is to my original gigs. And then when I'm not playing, they go book themselves as these cover bands to stay busy. And when we play a dance hall, that needs you know three or four hours of music live music then they open and they play for an hour or an hour and a half themselves and then we take a, you know they take a break as a changeover and then i come up and we play my 90 minutes set you know so that's some of the little tricks that we've done yeah well it seems like you know at least with the band that you have um you seem to be at least partially integrated into like the the Texas, Texas country music community, you know, um, and, you know, obviously with Wisconsin music ventures, um, you know, kind of building, building out this, this community of, of independent musicians across the state of Wisconsin. I'm curious, you know, it, what is, what is there like that in Texas? Are, are you a part of, uh, any sort of community of musicians? What's the benefit that you see of, of, of engaging with that? Um, you know, and, and how has that helped propel to any of the success that you've been able to experience? Well, the best kind of chaos is organized chaos, right? So the Texas scene has, uh, has a Texas country music association and it's just a lady, her name's Linda Wilson. I've got to be very, very good friends with her that started this organization and members join and they have an annual award show and what it does is it just it gives everybody a a group I guess to be along with to be to belong to. They have a you know that, that association tracks a list of all of the venues in Texas, so all of the members can see those venues and reach out to them to book shows. It's got a roster of all of the musicians, so that the people can hey I need a guitar player they can 
call the Texas Country Music Association, say, I'm putting a band together, I need X, Y, Z. Um, it's a great thing. And, uh, you know, if that doesn't exist, then that's something that somebody needs to spearhead over there. Linda's done an amazing job. She, she, I found out about it. Um, I think it was her first or second year that they did the award show. And I wasn't even a nominee. I just went there and I took a whole bunch of pictures of everybody that was getting nominated. And I was tagging them and the association on Facebook. I was making sure they noticed me, even though I was in the crowd and wasn't, you know, a finalist or anything. And then that I joined and then they, that got me on to where they would, okay, we're going to vote for these different categories. And I'd blast that out. So all my fans and all my, my friends, I had like a, a MailChimp newsletter and send it out. Hey, vote for me for male artist of the year, yada, yada, yada. And lo and behold, the next year I was nominated, you know what I mean? And then just kind of kept doing that. So we, we have some advantages and if that doesn't exist, you know, that's, that needs to, it's kind of like unions, right? Like you need a, you need a union. <laughs> and fortunately we have one. Yeah. It's interesting. We were, um, I also host, uh, monthly meetups, virtual meetups for musicians, um, as a part of Wisconsin music ventures. And, uh, our last meetup, uh, topic was how to have tough conversations in the music industry. And it, you know, we, we, the, the conversation had, you know, twists and turns and things like that, but we really like kind of toward the end there, uh, gravitated toward the conversation around, um, like pricing yourself and your shows and how there could be kind of a disconnect between the venues that, uh, are available and what they're willing to pay. Um, yeah, or can pay. And, um, and then even got into the conversation about how some of these venues just probably shouldn't be having music. Um, you know, because they're, they're actually doing more harm to the music scene than they are helping it. And, and so, you know, what's interesting there is you you mentioned the term like a union. That's kind of what I brought up. I was like, guys, what we're trying to create here, because I was like, what if we, you know, kind of, you know, unionized musicians in Milwaukee and, and tried to have those tough conversations as a group versus individually, and they may not be retained, there may not be actual, you know, it doesn't move the needle quite as much. Um, and so, yeah, to your point of there being like a union uh, to kind of to fight for, not necessarily fight, but to at least inform the other awesome. side of the yeah. music industry uh, or their sides that this is this is what we want and this is the benefit to the whole scene, not just to us, um, would be incredibly impactful. So, yeah, it's you know, it seems like you used your your your, your musician community, both friends uh, and and fans as well, to kind of uh, you know promote the the existence of of you and your music and your brand and then that led to you getting you know several nominations um and 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 a few of those you struck you know gold with and 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 got awarded with those and so i would imagine that there's a a decent amount of of confidence that that's helped you build but with confidence sometimes can come you know the the kind of the dark side of that which is you know having a big head being cocky you know how have you navigated that? How have you stayed? You, you seem like a super humble dude, man. Like, how have you, I mean, you've had this success. Now you're to the point of hiring opening acts. Like, I'm sure there are different musicians who are 10 years, you know, earlier in their journey than you are that are coming to you and asking for advice. Like, how do you stay so grounded and humble um, as, as the kind of dream that you set out on is becoming, becoming realized a little bit? I'll tell you this, man. I uh, 
when I grew up on a self-sustaining farm, I milked goats every morning. Okay. <laughs> I, I woke up and I milked goats and then I fed chickens and then I worked in the garden and I was, you know, working the horses. And I grew up very, very, very humble and very, very, very poor. I remember saving, you know, $5 bills that I got in birthday cards from my relatives and stuff. And my dad coming to me when I was like nine and borrowing the $110 that I had saved up because we needed to pay the light bill. You know what I mean? So I grew up very, very, very poor. And it's interesting that, uh, and it frustrates me a little bit, but it also kind of grounds me, I guess, but it's, uh, I've, you know, I went to college and I went to work and then I started my own company five years ago and my, my construction company broke the eight figure mark this year. So I'm no longer struggling financially, but and I married a doctor, okay, and I'm, we're buying her a practice. So she's an OBGYN. So, and and what's funny is I've only gotten to be known uh, in the Texas country music scene in the last you know few years, and so their impression of me is this spoiled rich city boy. <laughs> and it's funny because I go to these radio interviews and in, you know radio stations, and it's like they don't like me already because I'm walking in. My music was too polished, sounded too mainstream, or it was too pop, and I'm a spoiled rich city boy. <laughs> and I go, I'm probably the only Texas country artist out there that's ever milked a goat, probably one of five that have ever broke a horse, <laughs> and probably one of 10 that has, you know, some property out in the country that I go to to shoot skeet and stuff every weekend. So, <laughs> but it is what it is. So I just kind of, I'd say you just stop caring what other people think about you and you won't get a big head. You just keep your eye on the ball, which for me is I'm going to keep putting out music and I'm going to keep playing shows and I'm going to keep, we hire um, Tom Jackson is the guy, he's got a book that every, every artist should read. Um, <clears throat> but it's, he is the live show production king of the world. So we worked with him a few years ago. I hired him. It was 10 grand to fly his team down and put them in a hotel and give them a per diem and pay them their $1,500 an hour rate or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, or I'm sorry, not $1,500, like two or $300, but it was 10 grand total. And we spent 40 hours with this team, me and the band, and then we designed the set list and they designed our entire show. When you walk on, like the drummer starts on the stage, when the house music goes down, the drums kick off, the band walks on while they're playing, they wave, then the bass player walks to your mic, introduces you, Will, you walk out, you don't say a word, you play your first song, after the first song, you say thank you, here, you go here, you know, you, the whole show's designed. And the week before they were working with the band Perry, the week before they were working with Rascal Flatts, the week before that they are working with Taylor Swift. And I started going to you know, the Houston Rodeo to see these big artists, because um, those are like the only shows I can go to because they're during the week, right? And so, and I love going to concerts. That's one of the things you miss when you start playing every weekend. Um, and I start seeing all these things that these artists are doing. And contrary to popular belief, these artists are not, these big artists are not on stage just jumping around and, and winging it, right? They've got a plan. You can deter from the plan, but you have to have a plan. And I start recognizing all these little things that they taught us and just from reading the book, you could do this yourself. So I, the book's 150 bucks, but if you can afford it, you can take it to the next level and spend, you know, seven to 10 grand for a week to, for them to work with you, then you should do it. Uh, we've now done it twice. We did it for this, for this new album as well, because we have a completely different show. And so um, <clears throat> we, you do all that. And my reason for it was 
I, you know, I grew up during the Garth Brooks era. Like he likes to swing on ropes and set guitars on fire and stuff. Right. So people go to a show to be entertained and there's a boatload of artists that'll walk on stage and play guitar and sing and then walk off. And I didn't pay to go see that. I paid to be moved to, to experience moments. And that's what this whole book is about and what it makes your show, what it makes your whole show about is creating moments for the audience. And so you know, an example is when you're in a concert and the lights go dim and the artist sits on a stool and tells a story about how, you know, they lost their grandfather or something and they play a sad song, right? That you remember that moment. And artists, I'll tell you a little secret. Not only does that moment make the crowd remember being there and remember you, it makes them go buy your merch because they want to take a piece of that moment home with them. And so <clears throat> it's been a huge, huge change for, for us. And it's funny the, in the book, they talk about how the record labels will spend all this money on radio promotion and merch and set up the tours and all this stuff. And they wait until they're about to go on the road with this new artist before they go, oh, shoot, we need to figure out what they're going to do on stage. And in reality, it should be the other way around. You should have good music that you wrote and then you should get a good quality recording of it that you can put out. And then you should design a good set list that makes sense and design a show around that so that you can captivate the audience when they come to see you, because that's the only shot you get. And you don't sell tickets. You don't make any money in this industry except for selling tickets and selling merch. That's the only way you get money in this industry. Sell tickets at the door or work a deal with the bar because they sold a bunch of drinks and sell your merch. And the best way to do that is to have a good show that people want to come back to and bring their friends to. And so that's been my mission. And uh, I'll keep doing that. I'll keep trying to, trying to write the best music I can. Uh, my band's great, so we put out good stuff. And we make sure we have a banging show that keeps everybody interested. And at the end of the day, the people will come and the radio stations can play it if they want or not if they don't. <laughs> yeah, but we don't care what they think, right? We don't care what they think. <laughs> yeah, and so that that book, uh, Tom Jackson's Live Music Method, All That's Roads it. Lead to the Stage, Your Backstage Pass to a Successful Music Career. That's it. Well, for as expensive as it is, it, I, I would imagine that it is incredibly valuable um, in terms of the insights that come from it. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm not a salesperson. I don't get any commission off this, but I am just sharing this because it changed my life. And I promise as an artist, it'll change yours. But that book also, he also has a DVD set um, that I was given as a Christmas gift one time. So, man, get the book, get the DVDs. And that's a real good start. You you can do it with, with just that. And I did, I, I designed a show just with the book and using this formula. Um, so it can be done. It's obviously nice to have the in-person tutor if you can afford it, but you don't have to. Yeah. Well, you know, fortunately for you, you were able to to have that experience and eventually, follow <laughs> yeah, follow, follow, followed by, you know, or like your your experience with him was followed or was preceded by, you know, Rascal Flats and Taylor Swift. And that's that's pretty cool. Like you you, you feel like you kind of made it in, in, in the sense that you just had the opportunity to be tutored, you know, um, it's a lot of fun. It really is. Yeah. So we're uh, kind of winding down here toward the end of the conversation. Um, but before we, we do so, I, I do want to. Um, to dive into the song that you shared uh, for us to feature wrong side of town, uh, the single off of uh, the newest album. Uh, so, so tell me about the song. Tell me about the inspiration behind it. Just like the, the songwriting process, the production process, kind of like what stands out uh, to you about this song that really speaks to who you are as a musician, just like your, the journey that you've been on for these past, you know, what, what I guess, 
I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing, you know, it's, you've been in the industry for now 20 years and we're dating back to three years old, you singing the national anthem. Um, so just, yeah, kind of all, all things considered and, and, and how's it culminate with, with this song, with this album? So this was a song that, uh, man, it's, it's just been a favorite of mine forever. It's, it's interesting, but, um, it was, uh, we were asked by, uh, a radio station brand of the program director when so prior to me starting my own project i was in a duo with a girl and <clears throat> i didn't care for the way the direction it was going so i eventually left and did my own thing but while we were this was a song that um we were we played it live in the radio station as like a like on an interview or whatever and the radio station came to our show in the in the town and brennan said hey they're having a, a, a country showdown. It's this thing you go and compete and you win at the local level and then you went the state level, the national level. And then I don't know, you get much money or whatever you get. And I said, I don't know. I do not want to do that. I can't stand talent contests because we'll go in there with a, with a banging five piece band and we'll lose to the little girl singing to a karaoke track. whose dad happens to be the commissioner of the town or something, you know, <laughs> and so I was, I was adamant about not doing it. And the, pro, the program director came to the show because I filled out all of your forms I even paid your uh, your entry fee. You just have to sign here. I'm like, fine. So we go, we play, we win. Uh, one of the judges are, is owns the Texas Country Music Chart. The other judge was a radio promoter in Texas. Another one was a radio promoter in Texas. Anyway, so they approached us, and they everybody. The, and and this song is also personal to me because when we were in that competition, um, at the next level at Billy Bob's Texas, it's the largest dance hall in the world, and we're performing this song and. Halfway through the second chorus, the crowd is singing it back to us. And as an artist, that is the coolest moment. The first time the crowd sings your song back to you, you will never, ever forget that. I still have it. It's amazing. And it was this song. And so I sent it to our producers to have it cut, and they sent it back. And not that it was bad. It just wasn't what we did, you know? And it wasn't what we had been doing. I've been playing this song now for seven years, eight years. And my fans have heard it. My friends have heard it. My bands know, like, and it's funny, my, my, my team, my promoters, my manager, they would come to the show and go, wow, that long side of town song. We want that song. Let's bring that one to radio next. Like, like, so I had it produced again and I didn't like what they did that time either. And so finally that was kind of what started the whole deal where I said, you know what, guys, we're going to do this the old school way. We're going to book some studio time. We're going to go into the studio and we're just going to do what we do on stage because that is what everybody likes. And that's what everybody's asking for. And I can't get that out of studio musicians, nothing against them. They're fantastic musicians and great at what they do, but, but if they never heard us play it, like, <laughs> they're not going to do what we did. And that's what people want. So we went in and did it. And this was the first one that we did that way. And it was, man, I love it. I, I couldn't stand the first two renditions of it <laughs> and I love it. And uh, the, the fans love it and the band loves it. Right. Cause they're a part of it. Like it's just, it has been a, a whole kind of situation game changer for us. Um, the song's about, I mean, a very relatable topic, which I feel, which is that, um, you know, you're a, you know, a poor, poor boy from the country and you meet a, a girl from high, the high society and her, her parents don't approve of you, right? <laughs> so that's kind of what the song's about is, you know, choosing love despite, you know, the pressures from, you know, friends or family or whatever that, you know, you're out of, out of their league or whatever it may be. Kind of like, uh, you know, the 
the the old story of Romeo and Juliet, right? And yeah, well. <laughs> you know, that comes out in all of these, you know, movies and 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 TV shows and things like that. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that like the Titanic movie was like built on that kind of story of yeah yeah totally um so well i i've really really appreciated this conversation and you know i think i i have an idea at this point in the conversation of like who you are and you're not the you know the the big city rich kid who just happens to you know <laughs> go buy uh, a, a cowboy hat and some boots and 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 pretend to know that what pretend to know what you're singing about. No, you actually know this, but you know, I end these conversations with the same question every time, which is, you know, what do you want your fans or, you know, the people who work with you or anybody who, who crosses paths with your music, what do you want them to know about Will Carter? Who, who is Will Carter? Hey, I want them to know that if they come to a show, they're going to have a good time. They're going to be entertained and it, we're going to do, uh, Will Carter is just Will Carter and uh, he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I would imagine that most of your most of your uh, your tours are in the southern part of the state uh, or excuse me, in southern part of the country, um, because that's probably where your listener base is 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 uh, mostly densely populated. Um, but do, do you get up to uh, to the upper Midwest ever? And you ever play a show in Wisconsin interested in it? <laughs> I would love to. In fact, uh, we we just we just started this this year actually. But we we've our mission is to get out of Texas. So we've we've been playing Texas for a while, um, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of pockets throughout the country that play Texas country music on the radio. Um, Nebraska is a big a, a big uh, area. So we were in Kearney, Nebraska, a couple months ago. Um, we there's some places in. Colorado, Colorado Springs has a, like a red dirt scene. Um, <clears throat> Oklahoma, Kansas has a few. Um, obviously, Tennessee. So we, our, our mission now has been two things: one, get out of Texas, and two, uh, to to get on the bill with with bigger bigger artists and play you know more opening shows. Um, so yeah, if there is anything like that in Wisconsin, we are definitely interested. If you'll if you'll have some, yeah, we we. we it's not, there's really nothing Texas about it, but it's, it's, uh, if we'll have a Texas country act come to Wisconsin, we will definitely throw it out a party with you. Yeah. So, uh, you heard it here. Will wants to get out of Texas and, and, and come to Wisconsin. So any of you live music venues or show promoters or any, any booking agents out there that, uh, want to bring a good, you know, not necessarily conventional country act that's going to entertain a crowd to Wisconsin. Um, please uh, find Will Carter. Will, this has been just such a great conversation. I feel inspired uh, after all of these conversations, but man, your story is, is, is one that it needs to be told. Uh, I think, especially since you're kind of fighting that, that, uh, that perception that maybe you are this rich kid, you know, from the big city. That's not, that's not who I've talked to for the last hour. That's for sure. Um, so thank you for, for sharing, um, your story, opening up about the challenges and sharing advice, um, for other musicians. This has just been a pleasure, man. Hey, likewise, likewise, man, uh, to sum it all up, it's just keep, keep your eye on the ball and go after what you want and work hard. That's, that's to me, that's the secret to life. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it any better, and I wouldn't have said, tried to say it any better either. You've been there, done that. So, yeah, Will, well, best of luck to you uh, with the upcoming uh, album and the single. And, you know, uh, hopefully you keep 
uh, winning these awards that you're getting and maybe you're start to get some national recognition here uh, in the coming years. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, man. All right. Thank you. I said, hey, girl, I heard that you're moving on to the right side of town where you belong. Maybe, baby, maybe I can sit around waiting for this right mood to undo its wrong. Like that cold drink of water in the summertime. musiciansventure.com for more information on what we have happening to find past episodes and ways to get in touch with us find us on social media at the musicians venture on facebook and instagram 
and at Musician Venture on Twitter. Like and follow us on all those platforms. And hey, while you're there, engage with and share our content with your friends. The Musician's Venture Podcast is hosted by me, Nick O'Brien, with guest host appearances from Allison M. The podcast is produced by Shannon Coulard with theme music by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>